0: Well, before I uh, get into the scripture and the sermon, let me explain. uh, If you are new here um, and you look at your bulletin and you look at the staff and you say, I can't find that guy's name anywhere. (laughs) Well, uh, that's true. Uh, I'm David Haygood. I have lived in Noonan for 15 years with my sweet wife, Harriet. Uh, We retired in 2003 after having served 41 years in the South Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church. And uh, people said, why would you move to Noonan? I said, well, two or three reasons. Number one, I have a sister and her husband, Carl and Faye Wicker, who live there with their children, Uh, and uh, their grandchildren. And uh, Carl, of course, has died since we moved here. Uh, And um, I said, secondly, we wanted to get across the gnat line. (laughs) (laughs) We lived on the coast for 19 years. And uh, I can tell you, we know all about gnats. We grew up in middle Georgia. And we knew about the black mats, and uh, they, <laughs> black mats and the sand mats, you know, are different kinds. But, and the third thing is, I wanted to get away from any of the churches I served because I didn't want to get in the way of the pastors of those churches. Some will say, well, maybe they know too, knew too much about you. You need to get away from them. I don't know about that. But uh, anyway, we moved to Nunan by choice, and we have not regretted that uh, since we moved here. So we're happy to be here. I'm grateful that Charles called me some time ago. Bless him. He's, he's on the ball. And he asked me if I would preach this particular Sunday both services, and I agreed to. Now, at the time, I, I, I didn't think about the fact that I was going to have to get up very early this morning and preach at 8.30 service. And in retirement, that's not one of the things I do. I don't get up that early. I'm grateful to Sam Maderis and his leadership. This church is blessed, is blessed to have such good lay people in this church. And Sam is one of them. And I'm thankful to him that he feels so comfortable doing this, and he was gracious enough to do it. And so I'm happy that he's uh, with us this morning in the service. Let me ask you a question. Um, How many of you have ever been to the island of Patmos? I don't think I see any hands. Uh, Well, in the early service, there were two or three people. Patmos is a Greek island in the Mediterranean, 10 miles long, six miles wide. Beautiful, beautiful whitewashed buildings. And on the very peak, the very top of the highest point on the island, is a monastery. That monastery was built, I believe, in 1088. It's built over a cave where a man by the name of John, we don't know anything more about him him than that, John was exiled because of his faith. And he, he was there, we don't know how long, but he had a revelation while he was there. Now the book of Revelation is not Revelations, but Revelation. He had a revelation from God. And he wrote this uh, kind of complicated what we call apocalypse, and uh, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. Med Roach, one of our former pastors, uh, taught a course, study course on Revelation that some of you took, and you remember it. And uh, no doubt you you probably know a whole lot more about it than I do. But anyway, uh, it's a good book to study. Now I selected one verse out of that whole apocalypse to serve as our text for today's sermon. And it's the 11th chapter and verse 1. And this is what it says. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Let us pray. Father God, help us to understand what this means. Help us this morning to to concentrate on you. Let our minds be concentrated on you and not on other things. And give us a new revelation of you and your will for our church and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Mine and Faye's father was a furniture man all his life. He, he ran furniture stores. That's what he did. He always said when it came time to take stock that he was glad he was not in the hardware business and have to count all those nails and little screws. <laughs> and I remember him uh, doing taking stock, and he generally would kind of let the stock get down as much as possible, so we wouldn't have so much to count. But anyway, that was what he did. And he seemed to uh, kind of begrudge that sometimes, having to big stock. Well, I served as a member of the South Georgia Conference, as I said, for 41 years. And in those 41 years, seven of those years were spent as a district superintendent. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that Uh, I had supervision of 50 churches in a five-county area on the coastal side of the South Georgia Conference. And I would uh, go to those churches at least once a year, and we would take stock. We would evaluate what they had done, what they were doing, and what their plans were for the future. And... uh, Sometimes I'd go back and we'd have another meeting or two or three, and I'd go back and listen to the preacher preach and evaluate that. I'd go to the bishop and the cabinet, other superintendents, and I would share that information with them, and we as a bishop and cabinet would evaluate the ministry of the South Georgia Conference. And of course, it was our responsibility to make appointments of pastors. So, therefore, we had to know the pastors, their families, we had to know the churches and their circumstances, and all those things wrapped up together determined what we were going to do with the annual conference. All of us know how important uh, it is to uh, examine ourselves. Some in this congregation are doctors, and you know what it's like for your patients to examine themselves and all before they come to you to be able to tell you what's going on. Well, that's important. It's also important uh, to examine ourselves in other ways. Someone has said an unexamined life is not worth living. Businesses have to evaluate, as I said about my dad in the furniture business. It's said that And um, an unexamined army deteriorates. And um, St. Paul said this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are living the faith. Therefore, this morning, I have chosen this passage of Scripture from Revelation to help us do some of that. the first thing John was asked to do was to measure the temple. Now, the temple was very important to the Jews. Uh, Back in uh, the early days of Judaism, uh, King Solomon built a temple in Jerusalem. Of course, the children of Israel had been wandering around a long time and they were promised certain lands. They, Solomon built this beautiful, wonderful temple, and um, it was destroyed. Invading forces came in and destroyed it. There were two other temples that were built on the same spot. Again, invading armies came in, destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Well, the last one was destroyed in 70 A.D. Now, the temple was extremely important because it said to the world, this territory belongs to God. This territory belongs to God. Today, if you visit Jerusalem... You will find as you are approaching the city and as you get to the city, there's a huge gold dome on the site where the temples, the other three temples used to be. This is not a Christian temple. It's a Muslim temple. Sad to say. Not to say that the Muslims are bad, but sad to say that the temple is no longer a... um, Uh, a Jewish temple or a Christian temple. Now in Jerusalem there are structures, many structures that say to the world this community is of God and there are many that say this community is of Jesus Christ. Now such has been the case uh, through the centuries. Uh, There are many magnificent churches you know, around the world, that say, this community belongs to God. You may recall that St. Paul visited Athens, Greece. And when he got there, he looked around, and he stood on the Areopagus, and he said, men of Athens, I perceive that you are very, very religious. He saw all their structures that were dedicated to the gods that they believed in. And he saw one that said, to an unknown god. And he stood there and he said, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. In today's world, there are structures that stand out in communities. And they are religious symbols that say this community belongs to God. When I finished seminary, Harriet and I went overseas for a year to study where I studied. uh, I did a year postgraduate work in New Testament at the University of Edinburgh. And with what time and what meager finances we had, we traveled around Great Britain. And everywhere we went, we saw magnificent structures, cathedrals built to the glory of God. In every, I think just every community we visited, there were three buildings that were always there. A school, a pub, and a church. In one community we visited, we visited with a lady we had met on a trip. And she took us to the pub. And while we were there, that's where the priest was. <laughs> he was hanging out at the pub. Oh, but those three structures were in just every community we visited. And like I said, there are some places that magnificent cathedrals, some of which are deteriorating now because of lack of finances and because of age. But many, were, many are still, still there today. Now, in our country today, some of the most outstanding structures are our Christian churches. Skylines are dotted with steeples that say, this is a Christian community. I suppose unless you had your head in the ground or you were hallucinating or something and not here in the community, you recall in April a group called the neo-Nazis decided they wanted to rent Greenville Street Park and have a rally. Of course, I could go into it, and we don't want to do it now debating again. Why were they permitted to to rent it? Well, that's beside the point right now. But they rented that space, and they wanted to have a rally. Well, what happened? (laughs) There was a rally in this community. And there was a big rally in this community, a big, big, big rally in this community. And during that period of time, a lot of photographs were made and published of Greenville Street Park. What was in the background of Greenville Street Park photos? First United Methodist Church, and sometimes the Presbyterian Church. And then you could see the... Steeple of First Baptist Church. You see, these structures say to the world, this community belongs to God. The neo Nazis found that out. Thank God. Now, the magnificent structure we worship in today know whether you know this or not is 90 years old this year in september there that's the birthday of the coming into the into the church building if you haven't read it there's a wonderful history of the church that was published and there's a committee whose names are in the back of it and I won't go through who all, the, all those are. Bob McCoon is the one who was hawking these books. And, and we bought one, and we're glad we did. And it tells you about the early history in about in 1828 when this structure was built to the tune of $200,000. Now, that sounds like not much today in today's world. But back then, that was a lot of money. Now, according to the conference journal of the North Georgia Conference, the property that belongs to First United Methodist Church now is worth more than $10 million. Now, some will say, why spend all that money to build those buildings? Why don't we spend that money on something else? Spend it on hunger to help people We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, the building stands as a testimony to the neo-Nazis and to everybody else who wants to know this community belongs to God. And Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. Now, Jesus and his disciples one day were in Jerusalem. And the disciples said to Jesus, teacher, Look, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus replied to them, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be torn down. Now that's common sense. Things don't last forever. Ninety years is pretty good though, I think, for, for this structure. And I'm grateful to God for the trustees of this church who have looked after this building. And now that the windows have been redone and are refurbished and, more, and, and are brighter than they were, we, we can say we're grateful to them and to their foresight and you who helped pay for it to say this community belongs to God. We know that material things do deteriorate. We deteriorate. But for the time being, we need these symbols that say we belong to God. Now, unfortunately, there are times when churches uh, have to close. This past year in the North Georgia Conference, 11 churches were closed. 11 United Methodist Churches. In the South Georgia Conference, seven United Methodist Churches were closed. Not because, you know, somebody said, well, let's just get rid of them. Communities change, and uh, people uh, sometimes aren't always a part of these churches, and financially they go down, they go down, they go down, and, and therefore... Uh, There's just no way to keep them going. They have to be closed. Sometimes they're turned into restaurants. Sometimes other denominations will buy them. uh, Some um, non-denominational groups will buy them and, and, and start a small church. But I'm saying that these structures do deteriorate. They do go. But they are built to the glory of God. And we need to keep that in mind. John was asked to take the measuring rod to, to measure the temple. He had a vision of a new temple that was going to be built in Jerusalem. And I pray that one of these days maybe that will happen on the site of the old temple. Well, he was also told to measure the altar. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the temple... There was an area that was called the Holy of Holies. There was an area that was called the altar. And basically two things happened at the altar. One is people brought their sacrifices and left them there. Sometimes these were animal sacrifices that had to be slaughtered and that sort of thing. It sounds kind of gory to us. But anyway, they they brought their sacrifices and laid them on the altar giving these gifts to God. And the second thing is that the altar was the place where the the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and he listened, he meditated, he prayed, and he would come back out and say to the people, this is what God is saying to us. This is what God wants us to do, who, who he wants us to be. And so the altar of the church of the temple which is extremely important now a man by the name of martin luther revolted some against the church uh, rebelled uh, back many years ago and he was saying we don't have to depend on a high priest to to go in the holy of holies and then come back out and say this is what god says to us we are all our own priests we're all those who listen for the voice of God. We're all those who respond to the voice of God. And what I'm saying to us in that is that Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation said to us as Christian, Protestant Christian churches, um, it's important that you listen and, and do respond to the needs of the communities where you are located. If we apply this to our own church, how is God speaking to us today? We can begin with a quality worship experience. We're we're extremely fortunate. We've got a Connect service that's going on over here. It's It's a more contemporary kind of service that people seem to respond to more than Than the traditional service. We've got two traditional services, 8.30 and 11 o'clock. Our own son, Thad, serves at First United Methodist in Albany. They have three services on Sunday mornings, and uh, one of those is a contemporary service. The other two are traditional services. But our quality of worship in these services is superb. To hear this choir sing just moves me every Sunday. And to then hear the youth choir, 70-plus voices sing, the children's choirs, the bell choirs, the the inspirations, the swinging, singing seniors, all of these folks give us quality worship time. And David Kenvade is not here today, but we, I, I want to brag on him and say, you know, this guy is a jewel. I can tell you that he's a jewel, and you ought to know that too. And uh, he, he does such a superb job. He called and talked to me about this service and wanted to know what kind of hymns we wanted to use. We have worship. Then in the service, we've got a pastor who has a loving and caring heart, he's a pastor. He preaches from God's Word. We sit there and listen. We listen and we hear God speaking to us as we hear our pastor give us quality sermons. We have all kinds of things in these worship services that lead us. And I've, my, 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 uh, I've had chill bumps many times in these worship services as we have sat and listened to them and participated in. Sunday school, you know, I hope if you're not in a Sunday school class, you'll find one. We've got wonderful classes all the way from the cradle to the grave, and uh, we, you know, you can find one somewhere along the way in children's church and all those things. I was talking to Brooke uh, uh, Barksdale this morning, our children's director. Harriet and I came up Friday and consecrated elements for a communion service for uh, the the children in the in the grow day camp and uh, I was so thrilled to see those children and how they were being fed and now we're starting a mission camp tomorrow or day after tomorrow for children. We've got youth activities galore and it's a marvelous experience to be a part of a church that answers the needs of people in all those different ways. We've got Ladies' Service Group. We've got Networking Group, Parkinson's Support Group, Friendship Committee, The Grove, Bible School. I know I'm leaving something out for sure, but those are just examples of what's going on. The altar, God speaking to us and to the world through us in what we are doing in this church. Uh, several years ago, I, I I clip a lot of things out of papers and magazines and so forth and keep them, and then I'll come across them when I'm writing a sermon. Several years ago, I clipped a, a Dear Abby column. You remember Dear Abby? We've got our own Dear Abby in this church, you know. Miss <laughs> Pearl. Uh, co- Anne Sprayberry, <laughs> and, and I, I really enjoy reading her column and <laughs> get so amused at that. But uh, this Dear Abby column <laughs> was so appropriate, I had to bring it today. Dear Abby, my husband and I are very active in our church, but my husband is overdoing a little bit. He attends board meetings, men's breakfast meetings. He's on the planning committee for all the fund-raising functions, and he never misses a bingo game, a church carnival, or a square dance. I could cope with another woman, but how does a woman, how does a wife, compete with God? Dear church widow, do not confuse God with bingo games square dancing, and carnivals. Granted, most churches need funds, F-U-N-D-S, and fund-raising events for survival. But I think your husband is more interested in fund-raising than in fund-raising. Do a little roof-raising yourself. Did you get that? Okay, anyway you know, you can overdo it. You really can. And you can get dragged down because you're doing, trying to do too much. But it's here for us. And it's for us to say to the community, God is speaking through the altar of our church and calling us to do these things. And I pray that God will continue to do these things. John was told, measure the altar. In other words, God was really speaking to that community, and he's speaking to our community. When I was in seminary several years ago, I participated in a study where we went to churches and we evaluated how things were going. And uh, one of the results of that study showed this, and you'll have to listen closely to pick up on this. There's ample evidence in the study to indicate that these churches tended to be created in the images of their respective communities. In other words, earthen vessels containing only cultural treasures, reflecting rather than renewing the culture. The church is to be a renewal, a renewing agent to help bring about change in communities and to bring about good things. The man John was told to measure the temple and the altar. And finally, the people who worship there. That's where the rubber hits the road. (laughs) If you've been asleep during the rest of the sermon, wake up and listen to this. Measure the people who worship there. It was St. Paul who said, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Well, when I was uh, in when I was a superintendent and I was in Bishop Michael Watson's cabinet, and he later became the bishop up here, but he was uh, he was our bishop in South Georgia. We would come to a cabinet meeting. And before we ever got into the business of the church, he would look at each one of us superintendents and would say, how is it with your soul? And we'd have to respond. What's God saying to us? How is God speaking to us? What am I hearing from God in my life? It bothers me when somebody says, my private life has nothing to do with my public life. Shucks on that. It has everything to do with it. How is it with you? How is it with your soul? How is God speaking to you? How is it with your soul? There's an old reminder... Well, by the way, this, is, this comes all the way from John Wesley. It's not just Michael Watson. <laughs> John Wesley used to do that to all his preachers. He'd say, I is it with your soul today. Now, there's an old reminder that goes like this This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I help fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service, if I who make it what it is is filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all the things that my church wants and needs me to be. Measure the people of God. How is it with your soul? One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 139, and the last verse, the last two verses of that Psalm say this Search me, O God. Try me. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now he puts the bee on me and he puts the bee on you. Measure the people of God. How is it with your soul? Try me and know my thoughts and continue to lead me. Two men went to church one Sunday, the same church, same service. And the first one heard the, psalm, I mean the, the organist miss a note in his prelude. He saw a teenager talking when he was supposed to be in silent prayer. He felt like the ushers were looking at him as he put his offering in the offering plate he thought uh, he, he caught five grammatical errors in the preacher's sermon. As he slipped out through the side door during the closing hymn, he muttered to himself, Never again. What a bunch of clods and hypocrites. The second man went to that same church that same day, that same service. He heard the organist play an arrangement of a mighty fortress is our God. He was thrilled to his soul to hear that wonderful hymn. He heard a young girl stand up and give her personal testimony of what God was doing in her life. He was glad to see that the church was taking a special offering that Sunday to help the hungry in Nigeria. He especially appreciated the sermon. It answered a question that had bothered him for a long time. He thought as he walked out the front door of the church, how can anybody enter this place and not feel the presence of God? Well, how is it with your soul Can you see God speaking to you and me through the altar of the church and what we are doing? Let us allow the church building speak to the world and say, this community belongs to God, and Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, several years before his death, told about a little church on the coast of England that was destroyed by a powerful hurricane. And after it was destroyed, a member of the British Navy came to the pastor of that church and said, are you all going to rebuild? And the pastor said, no. He said, we can't afford to. We, we just can't do it. And the member of the British Navy said, well, if you're not going to, then we are. Because the cross on the top of your steeple is on the maps that we chart our courses by. Take this measuring rod and measure the church, the temple, the altar, and the people that worship there. That's what the church ought to be. Are we? Amen.